financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman. Today is Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022, and I'm on, as always, with my partner, Dominic Tavella. How are you this evening, Dom? Doing, uh, doing very well, Mike. Happy to be back, happy to be at my desk, and uh, happy to be here on the show with you tonight. Are you really happy to be back? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Everything is relative, Mike, and, and if you uh, want to live the good life, you have to work hard, and that's part of what we're both doing, uh, certainly today. Exactly. And and I wasn't referring to you enjoying yourself or not. I was really referring to what's happened in the markets and the economy in the last two weeks has been a pretty much of a of a of a of a straight shot down since we last did our show. It's been pretty nerve wracking. Yeah, I, I think uh, and, and we can look at April as a whole. Um, you know, we had that pretty decent correction um, in March and then a nice bounce off those numbers uh, the end of March. Then the portfolios looked, the markets looked pretty decent, still negative for the year, but nothing terrible. And April came along and just walloped the markets and the portfolios. And we had the S&P lose uh, almost 9% just for the month of April. And the NASDAQ, my God, Mike, uh, 13 plus percent negative for the month of April. Those numbers for the year to date look, uh, do not look very, very good so far. You know, and when the market was, was, was going up, you know, for several years in a row, um, experts always refer to the FANG stocks, the technology stocks, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google as kind of the bellwethers and how they represented such an overweight in the S&P. And a lot of those companies, Dom, they got punished in the last two weeks. Amazon got wrecked. Netflix got wrecked. And, and I think that attributed to the meta got wrecked. Um, A lot of these, uh, these companies that you mentioned, Mike are staples in, in people's portfolios, not so much in our, in our world, but with other firms and certainly they dominate the S&P 500. So, um, I think it's one of the particular reasons why the indices such a really rough time in in April. Um, and, you know, we're in an environment right now that that people are just frightened. Investors are frightened. There's a, a, just an enormous amount of unknowns. And, you know, we've talked a lot about this. Headlines frighten people. And when people are frightened, they tend to take their chips and walk away from the table. We always, as financial experts, look at headline risk with a grain of salt um, because it, it, typically it's, it's, it's short-lived. It's a headline. And, you know, how long does a news cycle last? But the headlines lately have just been a barrage of negative news, and they're not going away, whether it's a war in Ukraine or rising interest rates or inflation, which really hits people in their pocketbooks. And I think, I think that's part of the problem. It's just you can't turn on the news now and not just have more neg- more negativity. Uh, Mike, and that pendulum has really swung. And, and I'm just going to add China to your your list that, 
you know, China's closing down cities the size of New York City uh, and shutting them down. I mean, you can't even leave your apartment. So think about the economic impact there. But we went from the, the Wall Street narrative that the Fed was going to raise interest rates three times for all of 2022, a quarter of a percent at a time, to maybe three quarters of a percent in one shot and three, four or five times before we even hit the fall. So the, that pendulum has gone really the other direction. I'm inclined to believe maybe too far, too fast in terms of the mood. But boy, you wonder why the markets have behaved the way they have. There's a lot of bad news out there that's floating around. Yeah, and then and, and, and then how how do you parse it away? Because you're right. If if the Fed's this week, I think it's this week they meet. If they don't raise interest rates now, fifty basis points or a half a percent, you know the market perception may punish the Federal Reserve for now going too slow. Yeah. First, they were worried about going too fast. Now we're worried about them going too slow. Yeah, they'll meet tomorrow. We'll have a decision tomorrow. But yeah, this is where they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. They can't be perceived as allowing inflation to run away. And the other side, they clearly don't want to be too aggressive in raising interest rates because they'll slam the brakes on the economy and we will go into a recession. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we have a terrific guest tonight that'll give us some insight into all of this. Um, but lots to talk about, Mike. Yeah, so on that note, our guest is Mary Lasante. She's been on the show before. She's a partner of ours. She manages one of our portfolios. She's the president and chief investment officer at Lasante Capital Growth. And we're going to be back with her in a few minutes to help us unpack uh, all we just discussed and, and more. So we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you paying federal taxes on your cash? I work hard for my money that I keep in cash. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash. That's why I keep my cash in the Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-G-A-X. Le tax. Rates on cash are already so low. Why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn. It's what you keep. The Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, L-E-T-A-X, may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket. Find out more about the fund by speaking with a Labenthal Global Advisors Private Wealth Advisor or its sponsor at dcmadvisors.com. For your hard-earned cash, why pay the tax when there's the tax? Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You are listening to the Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live, join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman, back with Dominic Tavella and our special guest this evening, Mary Lasante, President and CEO of the Lasante Capital Growth. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Michael. Welcome. 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 You. you know, other times we had you on the show, Mary, it wasn't as quite as much to unpack as we have to, as we have to unpack this evening. So let's just start from 50,000 feet in the air. And um, how does someone like yourself who who, who manages, you know, distinct portfolios? How, how do you navigate through all the noise and through all the headlines? So I think that um, one of the things that's really helpful is to step back and try and separate out what's going on. Um, and as you know, we are very focused on the fundamentals. And so one of the things that was important to us was to figure out what's cyclical and what's secular because the secular is gonna be much more important than the cyclical. To us, what's secular is, unfortunately, we think inflation is here for a while. And so basically what that means is, in an environment where you have some inflation, you wanna own certain kinds of companies. You wanna own companies that can take price. So we focused on companies that can raise prices that have value propositions to their customers that are service companies. Um, I think having a broad definition of growth, which is, you know, we do is very helpful because the companies that have gotten hurt the most are the ones that are secular where the growth is very far in the future and they're burning cash right now. And so those companies, when the Fed raises rates and inflation comes back, um, tend to have a very tough time. And so you need to be aware basically of what has changed that's a permanent change and what has changed that may not be as permanent to change. Um, The other thing that has changed is if rates go up from zero, there are companies that will actually make more money. And so, you know, you want to focus on those. We haven't talked about it for over 10 years, but there are companies that have floats and they make a lot of money on their floats. And if we have interest rates, you know, and so, so a lot of it is trying to understand what's short term and what's long term. But I will say I've never seen as many cross currents as I see now because we have the Fed raising rates, as you said, into an economy that was already slowing as we went through the reopening into a supply chain that's continuing to face challenges into a global world that's um, gone from being um, a couple of years ago, perceived as very safe, to now perceived as quite dangerous. And so, you know, there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle that you have to sort through. We find talking to the companies really helps. So, Mary, I, I just want to focus on one of the things you brought up, and that is companies that not only have cash flow, I mean, all companies now have pretty much increased costs, operating costs, yes. right? So, can they? 
pass those costs on to the consumer? Is the consumer willing to pay? How long will the consumer be willing to pay? So what kind of companies do you think thrive in this environment or at least survive and keep their margins? All right, so distribution companies are wonderful because what distribution companies do is they pass things along and they tend to be able to raise prices and they don't get as hurt because they're not tied into the raw materials. So they don't have to raise prices 15, 20, 25%. Okay, they're raising prices, you know, 4%, 5%, and they're sort of passing on um, their cost. Food companies, um, there are particularly specialty food companies that have niches. Okay, where basically there is some demand for the product, it's a little differentiated. They have the ability to pass on costs increase. I mean, what you've seen from the companies that have worked with materials is they've had to raise prices, some of them 15 or 20%. All right, at some point, there will be a reaction to that. But if you're raising prices four to 5%, that's a different, a little bit of a different story. I think. You know, some of what's going on is unfortunately, we had an avian flu, and then both Russia and Ukraine provide a lot of the world's corn and wheat. And they're clearly not focused on planting um, and harvesting at this point. So there's going to be, at least for the next year or so, a very low crop out of those two countries. And that's going to put food supplies in a little bit of a, a tight situation. And that's part of why prices have been going up. So, um, you know, there, there are areas where we're in, we were in almost a supply demand balance and the war in Ukraine tipped us over. Energy is another one where we were in very tight supply demand balance. And then the um, issue with Russia has just tipped us over and it extends throughout the entire complex, not just oil, but gas, liquid natural gas, the infrastructure that you need to export liquid natural gas. And so these things probably will be with us for a couple of years. And so again, thinking about how the world has changed and what's gonna stay changed and what might not stay changed um, is we always find in times like this a very useful exercise. Mary, you mentioned that there will be certain companies which will continue to do well. You mentioned specialty food companies. Two years ago, when the market collapsed in the beginning of the pandemic, it, it almost didn't matter to consumers because we were all locked down. So yes. we weren't spending any money. Yes. This time, when does the wealth effect start affecting consumer psychology, where they may not buy the prepared meal that they get, you know, you know, fresh direct or something like that, you know, because they don't want to spend that type of money because they're feeling less affluent than they did six months ago. Is there any way to factor that in or forecast any of that? Well, it's interesting that you asked that, Michael, because there have just been two big surveys done by two Wall Street firms. Um, Jeffries basically did a survey of 3,500 consumers. And Piper Macro, which used to be Cornerstone Macro, does a survey of about 5,000 consumers every week. And what both of those surveys showed is that consumers are already trading down. So they are. They're being more careful. So they're shopping more at the wholesale clubs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Basically, they're trading down to um, store brands. Okay. And some of them are looking at the trade-off when food costs get to a certain price, believe it or not 
sometimes it tips people to eat out more because the cost to go out to eat is almost the same as the cost to make it at home. And so if you can find a, a place that has a good value proposition in that environment, they tend to hold up reasonably well. So um, in the last uh, recession, which was not 08, 09, but the 2000, um, early 2000 period where we had basically an economic slowdown, um, the medium priced uh, to low end steakhouses held up very well, for instance, because their average ticket was about $15. Mm -hmm. And so people said, okay, I can do that. You know, And that's the thing is that basically you wanna think about what, what people are saying, but this is part of why I think the reaction in the market is so emotional because this is hitting people in their pocketbooks with food and energy. And just yeah. to follow up, and I do think it's emotional. Last night, Dominic and I actually had dinner with a fairly successful man in, in, in our business. And, and we asked him the very same question. And he said that his wife has reached the emotional point where she announced no more steak. They're, they're not buying any more steak. Mm -hmm. And clearly they could afford the steak, right. but she just reached her own personal pain point. Mm -hmm. And I think, we, I think as consumers, we all get there individually, don't we? Yes, yes. And that's the big concern, because if the consumer slows down a little bit, all right, that's going to slow the economy. So the economy was already slowing. The consumers feel a little bit bad. They're starting to slow down their spending, and the Fed is raising rates. And this is, this is why the market is a little bit on edge, because it's a very tricky balancing act right now. But Mary, the, the consumer clearly, I think, will switch, right? Um, and we all have stories we could tell about going from product A to product B or a different type of vacation. Um, but they're going to spend. I mean, they've been locked up for two yes. years. They're yes. desperate to get out there and just look at what's going on in travel and leisure right now. It, it's yes. Other sectors of the economy might be slowing down, but it doesn't look like it's happening in travel and leisure. Right. And that's the thing, Dom, when we talk about the economy and we talk about the consumer, we talk about it like it's one person. It's about 10 different economic stratas, who all of whom have different pain points at different times. So what we know is it's very hard to send service sector economies into a recession. It's almost impossible. And so my guess is, is that we'll have slower growth, but we won't actually tip into a recession. It'll just, we'll all feel bad for a while until we get adjusted to this new era. Because I think the other thing that happened is it all came quickly. All right, if prices had gone up gradually, we might not have noticed. But as the world reopened, everybody wanted to do the same thing at the same time. So for instance, a little personal anecdote. I booked a cruise about four months ago, okay? I think it cost $1,500 for what I booked. The price now is double. It's double for the same boat, the same cabin. And so that kind of shock, people are sitting there going, my airline tickets just went up. You know, yeah, airline, look at the price of airline tickets. Right. But three months ago, you know, you could have bought them much cheaper. So so some of it is just the shock of reopening and everybody wanting to do the same thing at the same time. That will settle down over the next six months. And that's part of why I think, and I think the Fed thinks, inflation will start to come down a bit because you won't have this surge because everybody's doing the same thing at the same time. But when it settles down, you will still have inflation. Remember, they've been trying to get inflation back for how many decades? 
I think they finally succeeded. And so what's going to be left and the rate at which things are going to go up is, is an open question. I don't think it'll be as bad as it is now, though. So to that point, you, no one expects inflation to maintain its pace at 7 or 8%. Correct. But do you, do you see it bumping along between 2 and 3? And is that, is that an acceptable number? I think it'll bump along between two and four, Michael. And I think it depends because there are parts of the economy where, at least when we talk to the companies, they say it'll take about a decade to get them to the point where um, you're not tight supplies. And those are parts of the economy that have now become critical, partly because of what's gone on in Russia and with China. Um, And so I, I would say that Yes, I think, you know, if wage growth slows and the heat comes off, um, at least the employment numbers, I think that that's everybody's going to feel a little bit better because at this point, since everybody's doing the same thing at the same time, it's just higher than it would be. The Fed's been trying to get inflation back to two to three percent for decades. And honestly, our economy works best when inflation is two to three percent per year. 2 to 3% GDP growth, 2 to 3% inflation, 3 to 5% interest rates. That's a, that's a decent environment. It's just when it happens quickly, it's a bit of a shock. So, Mary, let's look at the glass half full. Um, you work particularly in a sector uh, of the markets, uh, small mid-cap growth that, frankly, has gotten punished, right? Yes. It's an environment where, um, just as a whole bucket, it's not worked really well. And I do get the sense that sometimes the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater and mm-hmm. just those companies in general have gotten pummeled. So there's got to be opportunities in there for somebody like yourself who's been in the industry for God knows how long to go, you know what, these companies really do have value and we can buy them at pretty, pretty discounted prices. That's absolutely true, Dom. And, you know, um, we were talking before the podcast that if uh, we're not going to have a severe recession, um, the small mid-cap end of the market has declined about as much as it normally does when we are worried about a recession, but it doesn't happen. And then what we see is the 12 to 18 months after that usually tend to be very strong um, returns for smaller companies because people start to focus on the individual prospects. There are many companies that are doing well that are continuing to do well and are growing their earnings. And that will matter as we things settle down. Um, so it, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're probably at the biggest discount that we've had between small valuations and large valuations, valuations of large caps and the valuations of small caps, really um, you know, since 2008, 2009, 2001, 2003, you know, even you go back to the 70s. Okay, it's 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 and this tends to always happen with smaller companies, because when people get afraid of the future. These are the companies that get punished the most, but they tend to rebound the strongest because they tend to have the strongest earnings growth. So when people care about fundamentals again, and we will at some point care about fundamentals, they become um, the area of the market that people want to focus on. So. Normally coming out of these, you usually have three to five years of really, really good returns in the asset class. And so, yeah, I think if you have anything more than a two-month time horizon, 
you know, but particularly if you have a two to three year time horizon, this is an enormous opportunity. But again, it's not for every company. As we talked about companies that are cash flow negative, that are losing money, that are serially need money, they're gonna struggle in this environment. But the companies that are profitable, that are growing, that have experienced management teams and a strong value proposition, they're gonna do great. So Mary, to that end, you know, small cap companies obviously are born from, from private equity and, 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 and companies that were private before that. So we all anticipate the financial sector to do well. And just to be clear, this is not 2008. We are not in a financial crisis. No. So it's not as if these small cap companies, the ones that deserve it, they're not going to lose their, their flow of money if, if, if they're still, you know, have a value behind them, correct? That's correct. But I think, again, so, so companies can come into small cap in a lot of different ways, Michael. All right. As you said, many times they come in, they come public, and then they graduate out and they're funded by private equity. And private equity funds many different kinds of companies. But the other way that they come into small cap is they're in a sector of the market that's been out of favor. And so their stocks don't go up for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden something happens and people are like, wait a minute, you know, there's something going on here that's very positive. And so those kinds of companies can be, again, as things have changed. So we've fallen in love the past couple of years with one type of growth company, which are the secular innovative growth companies. They're wonderful, they're fabulous, but the negatives are, they can sometimes take a long time to make money. And many other parts of the market have been ignored. And a lot of those companies are very good companies that grow nicely. And those are the kinds of companies I think that probably will do a little better than the secular growth companies. You're going to find secular growth companies that are going to do well, don't get me wrong. But I don't think it could be you can close your eyes and just buy any company anymore. It's going to be, you're going to have to be more selective. And, and Mary, we're coming up to, to the break, but I just want to underline, um, you know, some of these secular growth companies that were really popular a year ago, don't make any money. I mean, we can literally rattle off all their names and we would all recognize their names, but they not profitable. And in this kind of environment, that's particularly why they've gotten punished. Exactly. Exactly. Don. Mary, we're bumping up against a break. I know you're going to stick around for the other segment. So don't go anywhere, and we'll be Please. right back after a quick break. Thank you. When you're thinking about where to park your cash, for over 30 years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes? Mike, generating interest that's free from federal taxes is appealing, but I've been in this business for a long time, and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned cash. Sorry, Dom, but the beauty of the funds is paying less taxes on cash. No, my friend, it's the potential for more income. Mm -mm. Less taxes. More income. Less Taxes. More income. Less for taxes. your cash. Ask your advisor mm, about the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax Free Income Fund. Less taxes. Or find out more at DCMAdvisors.com. Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on it's not what you earn, 
is what you keep. Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-T-A-X. Tax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. You are listening to the Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live, join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with Dominic Tavella. And our special guest this evening, Mary Lasante, President and Chief Investment Officer at Lasante Capital Growth. Mary, let me ask you a question. I know you briefly touched about upon the supply chain issues. And the, we always talk about the large cap companies, you know, being hurt because they can't get components and parts and all the all the different things they need to make their products. And frequently it's the small cap companies that make those products. Correct. Right. I mean, they're yeah. supplying the large cap companies. So how has the supply chain problems Dominic mentioned earlier, you know, China's shutting down whole cities. How has that affected the small cap sector? So it's varied by company, Michael. I would say many of them were able to avoid it until very recently. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, several of them have told us and Um, These are companies that don't have a lot of business in China itself, but they work with Thailand or they work in in Asia. And what they've said is they've gone basically directly to the suppliers of the parts they need, and they're working with them to try and basically overcome these issues. So they've been, but it's been challenging because the supply chain issues sound like they're getting a little worse, not a little bit better. Some of them have very deep relationships and very strong relationships because they've been in business for 20 or 30 years and they've been able to navigate it very well. Some of them have paid premiums to get, like Saitime paid a premium from the beginning to get wafers because this is the fourth company this guy started. It's a semiconductor company and he knows when things are tight, you wanna make sure you have supply. So they've come up with a variety of solutions And I would say in general, they've weathered it much, much better than the larger companies, partly because they can be innovative, they can be creative, and they're quicker to respond to an issue. Mary, don't these companies tend to be domestic companies for the most part? Um, They do, with the exception of some of the semiconductor companies, because that has moved totally offshore. Most of the companies that we're investing in are domestically focused, and that's also a very strong positive dump. 
um, because they don't have to deal with the logistics issue as much if they have manufacturing outside of the US, it tends to be either in Mexico or Canada. So they're on the continent, which is which is much easier. And the point I wanted to make was, you know, we're starting to hear rumbles again that maybe we need to have a part of our portfolio on the international side of, of equities. Um, but, you know, we met with a, a gentleman last night who runs a pretty large portfolio. And, and I visited in, in Europe just recently. They're, they're having a tough time. I mean, and we talked already about China. They're having a tough time. I, I don't know if as bad as we think we have it here, I don't think we're even close to as bad as they have it in some of the markets overseas. No, I would agree with that. And I think the other thing that has changed, and this is a secular change, is that in the environment we're in, that we're probably going to be in for a while, you have to build duplication into your supply chain. And you have to be careful what countries you're in, because the world is just going to be disrupted. And so if that's the case, you're much better off to be domestically focused. Again, the U.S. will probably be the best house on the block, and that's probably going to be the case for a while. You know, Mary, I heard you mention that you, you, you thought that the supply, supply chain issues may be longer than we anticipated. And that's been an ongoing frustration for me because it seems like the quote-unquote experts keep moving the goalposts further, further away. Because the supply chain issue was supposed to be resolved a year ago, you know, and then we heard this summer and now you're not the first person to tell us, well, it's definitely not going to be this summer. That's, you know, two months from now. So is this, is this something that we're just going to have to learn to live with? I mean, is this kind of here to stay for probably a little longer than any of us want to realize? I think so. Absolutely. And I'll tell you why. Um, it, it's different for every industry, but let's take the semiconductor industry. All right. Applied materials has been telling us for five years that we were going to be tight semiconductors because you need five times to 10 times the amount of semiconductors as you enter the era of um, applied intelligence. All right. As you do or artificial intelligence, as you do for the PC age. All right. It's turned out to be true. So TSMC and all the other guys are scrambling to build more capacity, but it takes two years to build a plant. So they don't think they're gonna be able to add significant capacity till 2024. So we're gonna be tight semiconductors for the next several years. And there, are, as you go industry by industry, what you see is, I think, as you said, Michael, it's just the new normal. And we're gonna to have to learn to live with it until we build some slack into the supply chain. And that's going to take some money and it's going to take some time. And it's going to be more the purview of the big guys, the big market cap companies than the little guys. And that's one of the reasons why I think the small guys will do better. They won't have this added cost of being global that the big companies will face. And I think it will be a secular added cost for them. So one follow-up question to that, you know, when Dominic and I were in college, when you were in college, you learned about supply and demand. And we, and we learned about, you know, you, you, you want to have um, excess supply, so you don't want to have shortages. And then we heard about the new economy. We don't have to do that anymore. Technology changed everything. Where you can just kind of order and supplies will come just to you. Just in time. Just yes. in time. Just in time delivery. Yes. So yes. Are, we, are, we, are we going back to the 70s and 80s in terms of companies function to, you know, have that excess supply, that just-in-case supply? 
Yes, not, I don't think as extreme as the 70s and 80s, but yes, everyone we talk to is talking about trying to build a buffer because the world is more uncertain. You know, and you know, Michael and Dom, there are certain things that only existed, again, in an era of free money. So one is just in time could be instantaneous, deficits don't matter. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that are not true when you start having to pay um, a real rate of interest on money. And I think that that's one of these, which is you can't do just in time because the world doesn't work that way anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just harder to move stuff around. And so there is going to be an added cost to building in some of that inventory. Mike, uh, Mike uh, uh, and I were talking earlier today about um, different sectors that actually might perform well in these rising interest rate environments. Um, and I'm thinking banks and more specifically regional banks. Uh, do you have any of those in your portfolio? What do you think? We have a few. Um, I mean, I think the issue with the regional banks is if the economy is going to slow, then um, they're going to have to contend with potentially the loan portfolios and nobody knows how that's going to work out. So that's the concern. Um, having said that, they usually tend to have niches that they lend with. And so we do have several of them that we like. But I would also say the other areas that um, com where companies can actually make money off the float um, are companies like, for instance, Schwab and LPL, where basically they have a huge amount of clients' money, where basically they've gotten zero. Right. But if interest rates go to two or three percent, they're going to make money on the float. There are payroll processors will make money on the float. You know, Bill.com is going to make money on the float. They're going to make every hundred basis points is like 20 million dollars to them. You know, so payment transaction companies also. There's a whole group of companies that as interest rates go to two or three percent will make good money. And it's not in people's estimates yet. And so, yeah, I would say that there's there's a wide range of companies that are going to benefit from rising interest rates where people haven't, where earnings estimates are actually going to go up as a result of this. And it's primarily the, the, the banks and the brokers, it sounds like, or the insurance companies, it sounds banks, like. Banks, brokers, insurance companies, payroll processors, any kind of payment processing company, anybody mm -hmm. who has a float, Michael, is going to, is going to, you know, finally get the benefit of having some sort of a float. Down. Um, so let's again look at this picture. Opinion and balance of the year. Obviously, I know it's a hard call to make. Um, what, what do you think the Fed does with interest rates? And what do we do? We really have the possibility of going through recession this year. What are the likelihood of it happening next year? Well, so I'll give you my personal opinion on what the Fed will do. Um, I know everybody thinks they're going to raise seven, eight, nine times. My personal opinion is they'll do 250 basis point raises and then see what happens because our PMI is already falling. So the PMI has gone from over 60 to the mid 50s in a couple of months. All right. And it, you know, as well as I do, if it gets to 50, then the odds of a recession go up fairly dramatically. Well, they don't want that to happen if they can avoid it. Um, they do want to see, they do believe a certain amount of inflation is Trans, transitory, not all of it, but a certain amount of it. Um, and I think as we move into the back half of the year, one of the best things for the market is we normalize. 
So we get through the reopening, we get through the tough comparisons for COVID and we can see basically the shape of the economy. And my guess is it settles down to a one to 2% economy, one to 2% GDP. All right, and inflation eases a little bit. All right, and probably comes down to three or four. My guess is the Fed is gonna live with that because they don't wanna send the economy into a recession. Right, they've said that, they've said it publicly. You know, our goal is to control inflation, but also to maintain growth and employment. And so um, I think that they'll live with a little bit higher inflation and the market will basically just sort of settle out because a lot of the clouds that we're talking about, a lot of the uncertainty as we move through the year will clear up. And so um, normally in the second year of, of a presidential cycle, the market has a correction and usually um, has a very strong fourth quarter. And so my guess is, is that again, as we look towards 2023, the market will respond, um, particularly if we don't go into a recession. And the forecasts now are either 2023 or 2024, because you know the Fed rate hikes have the most impact nine months out. So whatever they're doing now. Time for that higher interest exactly. rate environment to actually slow the economy down. And let's not forget this first quarter, a little bit of a surprise was negative. We had a, a negative first quarter. So um, this economy is not a juggernaut that the, the Fed can just slam on the brakes by continuously in, uh, raising interest rates. In that's opinion. what I think. Yeah, that's what I think. I, I don't think they're going to do that. You know, Dom, you just took the words right out of my mouth. I think the frustration with the retail investor is if they're watching the news channels, if they're reading the business pages, all they hear about is people hyperventilating about a recession and about and about negative growth and about a contraction. And we actually have a negative quarter. And then Wall Street goes, oh, this one doesn't count. Oh, and nobody knew it, Mike. <laughs> we lived in the first quarter, right. negative quarter, and I right. don't even remember how right. long. Right. You have to go so, back to 2020. Um, and no one even knew it. Right. So, so how is a retail investor supposed to square that peg if this one doesn't count, but we have to worry about ones we don't even know about yet? Right. Right. And so you guys know the great thing about a retail investor that they have, the advantage they have is they can take a little bit longer view. And so if you think about it, again, I go back to this idea that we've discounted an awful lot. All right. People are expecting seven to nine rate increases, all right? What happens if it doesn't happen? The market's gonna go up, all right? They're expecting a recession. What happens if it doesn't happen? The market's going up. So again, if you can step back and get a little bit of perspective and take a two to three year time horizon, it is, you don't get opportunities like this very often. When you get them, they don't feel good, right? No, but that's why nobody ever buys at the bottom because it feels mm -hmm. terrible, right? It does, it feels awful. And that's what the professionals are supposed to do. Buy at the bottom when it feels lousy and sell at the top when it feels wonderful. What and it's contract? counter to human emotion, so it's hard to do. But I think, again, unless the wheels totally come off this economy, which I don't see, um, you know, as we get through the back half of the year, a lot will become clearer and things will calm down. And I think the prospects are still very decent for the economy and for a lot of the companies we invest in. They're very strong. You, you would agree that the volatility continues though, right? I mean, we're dealing with strong unemployment numbers. Yes. 
strong yes. uh, uh, corporate earnings have been pretty pretty decent, yes. right? Um, yep. Not spectacular, but pretty decent. I think 70-80% yes. of the companies have reported so far better than expected. Some yes. surprises here and there, but but the idea that this economy is going to completely come off the rails, it's, it's hard for me to believe that's going to happen. Let's not forget we have an election in November. It's hard to believe that the party in power is going to let it come off the exactly. rails. Exactly. And I think part of what we're dealing with, Dom and Mike, is that a lot of people that work in the market don't even remember 2008, 2009, never mind a normal recession. So people and, and forget about inflation. So people don't know what they're facing and the market hates uncertainty. So that's why there's a lot of emotionalism in the market. And there's really almost this dread because they don't know. They've never been involved in it before this kind of a situation, they'll figure it out. And as that happens, things I think will calm down. We remember. Yes, um, we do. Oh, although we <laughs> joked about it this morning, Mike, that we have clients that go, this is the worst I, I've ever seen. And I'm like, do you, did you forget March of 2020? Did you forget that? Mm -hmm. um, but it's the headlines, right? It's the news every night yeah. and it's depressing and people yes. react accordingly. So, you know, again, Dom just took the words out of my mouth again. Sorry, I think we've, we've been doing this a while. We have about a minute to go. Is there a headline that we haven't heard yet that you would do, you would be, that would be your, oh, you know what moment? You know, is there, is there one more shoe to drop that would, you know, make you rethink kind of the guidance you provided? So I think if the Fed turns around tomorrow and comes out and raises 75 basis points and says, we don't care what happens to the economy, we must control inflation at all costs, that would change things. Because they'd be basically in essence saying, go into a recession, we don't care. All right. As I said, the only statements that we've had are the opposite of that. Okay. You know, they came from um, Loretta Meister. And so I don't think that's what they're going to do. And then the other thing is, there's always the odds of a black swan event, mm -hmm. all right? You know, the Ukraine-Russia situation is very volatile. So mm -hmm. I don't know how it's gonna work out. And can I tell you that the rest of Europe is not gonna get dragged in even inadvertently? No, I can't, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's, that's the other piece. So a lot of this is really just, to some extent, it's gotta play out and mm -hmm. we've gotta see basically how it evolves. Mary, we are unfortunately out of time and, and we can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. Yeah, thank you for I having me. I much appreciate your calm tone and voice and uh, advice. And hopefully uh, we and our clients will take it. Thank you. Thank you. We Have will see you day. down the road. Thanks, Mary. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. 
The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live, join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman, back with Dominic Tavella. Dom, that was a great segment because I think you said it best at the end. You know, Mary's calm voice and voice of reason um, was really very helpful tonight after the rough, rough month that we had. Yeah, a voice of reason, Mike, underline it. Uh, you know, look, there's a scenario that, that could turn out very positive. There's clearly a scenario that could turn out very negative. But, you know, we've been through many of these cycles. Uh, you and I have been in the business for over 30 years. I hate to say we've seen this before. Um, it's always a little bit different. But, you know, things should work out over time. We just need the patience and fortitude to get through it. Well, we have the patience. It's convincing our clients to have the patience. And that's where someone like Mary, you know, gives context and perspective so hopefully our clients hear that to give them the, the courage to have the patience. And, and we've, we've said this many times, Mike, the reason for the show is that we get to talk to a Mary all the time. We both were the portfolio manager last night, which we hope to get on the show one of these days. And we hear these common sense, logical, unemotional uh, outlines of what they think is going to happen. Uh, again, no crystal ball, but they're logical and common sense. And we employ those ideas in, in our portfolios. Um, but it's good for the clients to hear. I think it's excellent for them to hear it. And, and then you can make up your own mind. Yeah, of course. And there's always opportunities, whether it's financials or banking or logistic companies or, 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 or delivery companies. As you said, the world, the economy is not coming to a halt. The, co- the economy is not coming to an end. You know, the roadways are still packed. Restaurants are still packed. The people are still shopping. People are going, as you said several times on this show, people can't wait to get back to the lives they knew before two years ago. And uh, I apologize. I don't remember who said it, but every crisis comes with an equal amount of opportunity. And when you look at some of the stocks that Mary has in her portfolio, the sectors that really have gotten beat up, really, unfortunately, have gotten beat up, maybe not necessarily having anything to do with their own balance sheet and what they sell and what their profits are. If somebody has a little fortitude and can buy these uh, uh, stocks, these companies at these really discounted prices and can wait, can deal with the volatility and be patient, you can look back a year or two, three down the road and go, oh, my God, we crushed it, right? You, Tom, you just used a word that's really important. You said we look at, look at this crisis. There is no crisis right now, right? The pandemic was a crisis. The financial sector collapsing was a crisis. 
the real estate bubble was a crisis. What we're going through now is a normal economic cycle. There's no uh, crisis to attach it to. I, I, I appreciate you saying that, and I think you'll agree with my comment, but the headlines make it out to be a of, crisis. Of course. The headlines and the news and the bobbleheads on TV make it out to be a crisis. Of and people course. are like, why is the market behaving the way it is? Because people are frightened. You can argue justifiably so. You can argue not justifiably, but people are frightened and they make investment decisions emotionally instead of Mary, common sense, logic, fundamentals. Look, I've said it a thousand times. I learned it in business school. When it comes to the media, if it bleeds, it leads. And, 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 you know, the, the talking heads on, on these financial networks and no offense, you could be one of them every now and again, you have to have a take. And if it's not negative, they're not going to invite you back, Dom. Well, I, I do get invited back, but I, I but I try to be the voice of reason and, and common sense. And um, you know what? Long term, short term, that may not be the right approach, but long term, common sense uh, works out. It wins out most of the time, Mike. And you mm -hmm. know, uh, and that's where we holding our clients hands, getting them through these difficult times. Markets recover over time um, and then you're rewarded. You're rewarded for that patience. And I will say this, you know, you said the world's not going to come to an end. All I know is that the Mets are in first place. The Yankees were in first Yankees place. Yankees are in first place. Right. So, so the world has to be coming to an end. Exactly. That, 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 that's my point. Right. They, they, last week, they both had the best record in the American League and the National League. So, yeah, the world has to be, the world has to collide at some point. Well, hopefully they both do in the World Series. And we'll leave it at that. That would be awesome. So listen, we are just about out of time. Um, good show tonight. And um, as always, I uh, appreciate you hopping on board with me. To uh, happy to, to be this. here, Mike. Happy to have this kind of conversation and very grateful to Mary to be the voice of reason tonight. Hopefully our guests will continue in that vein and we will continue to calm people down and help them get through these crises. And, and to that end, you know, Mary is a partner of ours. She does manage a portfolio for us. And, and if we had one or two clients who were really nervous or wanted Mary's insight privately, I'm sure we could arrange that to have, have Mary hop on a call with a client or two if we had to as well. Absolutely. All right, Dom, well, I will see you next week and everybody be safe. Good night, all. Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report. Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman will be back for our next program, airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week.